is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another post Tuchel emergency podcast. As always, your host, Brandon Jomakos. Dan, this time, I've sub Nick out, brought Dan in. We've got a new guest, Yannick's out. Uh, we brought Matt Law in, and we're just talking Tuchel exit and apparently Graham Potter walking through the door, WWE style, moments after. Uh, so much to impact. Um, Dan, Money again. in the bank. Money in the bank match. That's what's happened here. <laughs> Very American. <laughs> I, I tell you what, a lot of money is about to continue to go out of the bank. But Dan, real quick, before we let Matt kind of walk us through his crazy day, um, you were isolated up in the mountains, completely oblivious to what was going on. You get back into cell service and just your phone locks up with all of the messages. Yeah, when you drive down a mountain and you get back into civilization from a place where you didn't have coverage and you get a hundred plus whatsapp notifications in the span of about three seconds you realize something is up and uh, when it's from all of your chelsea friends you realize that something is up with your club and in this case it was thomas tuchel being gone from chelsea and uh, it was not the news that i was expecting and uh, very much thought that he would be given more time and i was wrong <laughs> How are your? How were? I'm I'm just interested to know because I've been trying to keep up with it on Twitter today. What was? What would you say was the general mood? Was everyone upset, annoyed? I mean, everyone was surprised, but what what was the general, or or were they understanding of the decision? There's a lot of pendulum shifting at the moment because there have been people over the past 24 to 48 hours who mentioned that. This is some of the worst football that they've seen Chelsea play for a period of time. And I think that that had a very unanimous feel to it, that the attitude and mood wasn't good, but that there was a hope that Tuchel might get time, might get an opportunity to work through it. And I feel like it's a little divided in that, particularly when there's now the conflict of this individual had a part to play or part to say within the transfers and the incoming deals or the outgoing deals that happened this summer and now that person six matches into a Premier League season is out the door and so I think that that continuity or that understanding of the processing of the thought is really where that is now being filled by the narrative from whoever whomever is informing the camp right whomever if it's someone close to Tuchel if it's someone close to Bully if it's someone close to players whomever is filling that vacuum right now is creating the narrative and I think that's where there's maybe a bit of a, a break but Brandon who's maybe been a little bit more connected today in terms of having more cell connectivity might have a different perspective <laughs> I think yeah I, th I think people already knew how they were going to feel before this happened and, and they're just voicing that um I think there's a lot of also acceptance that it doesn't matter what we think. The decision's been made. We have to move forward. Here we go. And uh, there's still a lot of respect and appreciation for what Tuchel brought, but definitely um, the way things are going this season was just was just a weird, weird way. Um, but I think the unanimous thing is definitely the timing, Matt. I think everyone, again, you, you, you have him heavily involved in 270-some, 280-some million dollars with the transfers, and then, you know, six days after the window, you're like, yeah, you know what? Never mind. We're good. Like we're going to, we're going to take it in a different direction. I think that was probably one of the unanimous sentiments. I think, look, I think it's interesting to take it back to the start. And you guys were actually there at the start of the problems. Um, 
Last time we all saw each other in person. Don't, don't tie us to it, Matt. Don't tie <laughs> us to the fact that the problem started and we were there. Sorry, but this is a fact. Um, we all last saw each other in person when we were saying goodbye in that very sort of um, depressed mix zone in Orlando, shall we say, when no players wanted to talk, everyone seemed pretty down. Bowley and Egbali walked through it. And you guys were in that press conference as well with Thomas Tuchel when he exploded after the defeat to Arsenal, even though it was only a preseason game. And I sat and I remember sitting in that press conference, and don't get me wrong, I did not think he was six weeks or seven weeks or eight weeks or however long it was ago from the sack. But it felt like a Maurizio Pochettino moment at Tottenham. It felt like an Antonio Conte moment at Chelsea. It felt like a moment. There were, there were clearly problems. The way he reacted to that defeat, the demeanour, the general feel of some of that tour, where there was a general irritation to him all the way through, it was clear there were problems. And in actual fact, he wasn't even hiding it because he was saying it in open. He was saying that he, he didn't enjoy his new role. He wasn't particularly happy with the way the summer was going, both in terms of the results in pre-season, but also in terms of the way the transfer business was going. And you kind of hoped at that point that, okay, there's still a lot of this summer left. These differences will get ironed out. But in actual fact, they clearly got worse. Well, I think there's a lot to obviously touch on and break down. Um, it has been a hot ride to the beginning of this one. Uh, Dan put together a, a good framework for us so we can do so. We'll say this, right? We'll break down an eventful day where Todd Bullish Chelsea sacked Thomas Ducal, leaves the club after winning the Champions League, Club World Cup, and Super Cup. Uh, we won't talk about the double F FA Cup, uh, League Cup, overtime penalty loss to Liverpool because that sucked. Um, but we'll also talk about what comes next for a managerial appointment, already coming into focus, continuing Chelsea's relationship with Brighton uh, quite heavily. So, um, yeah, I think, Dan, from the top, right? It, I mean, the rest of the world knew except you, but it all kicked off with a 9.30 a.m. in-person meeting at Cobham. And, and my understanding is the team didn't get back till like 3 a.m. last night. So an early turnaround. Well, and I guess maybe, Matt, from your context, you've had a chance to witness many appointments and dismissals at Chelsea for managers over the years under the Abramovich era. Now, this is the first one you get a chance to see under the Bully era. I guess as you look back and maybe just reflect on this, it might be a little too soon, but what are the similarities and differences that you could take away from Tuchel's dismissal compared to others in the past? Look, there's... <sighs> There's never a nice way of doing it. Let's put it that way. So there'll always be something that isn't ideal. So as you say, everyone got back at about 3 a.m. in the morning. Getting the guy in at 9.30 in the morning would seem on the outside pretty harsh. But these things just have to be... When, when the decision's taken, they just get done. And owners never really think about the sort of niceties around it. You know, the famous one for me was just the season after he'd won the title, Jose Mourinho in his second spell. He literally got sacked when he was about to sit down and have his Christmas dinner. It was the day at Cobham they were going to have their Christmas dinner. And he got sacked when he was going to sit down and have a Christmas dinner, which from a sort of uh, optics and visuals perspective looked awful. But you, you, you can't let these things get in the way. So they were always going to sack him. It became very clear very early this morning that they were always, they'd chosen for whatever reason that this Wednesday they were going to sack him. I think... Probably they came to the decision that they had to sack him sometime last week. And obviously, I think they 
they felt they needed with a midweek game last week and Europe coming this week, they needed to get through the end of the transfer window and they needed to get past the European match before they just had a chance that they felt to, to actually do it. Um, whether you agree with it or not, quite frankly, doesn't really matter. That That's how they chose to do it. Look, I, I, I'm with you guys. The, the timing when the transfer window just shut after the big spend is, is the strangest thing. The decision itself, people can debate it, but the decision itself doesn't actually surprise me that much. The timing of it surprised me. I mean, look, Tuchel went in at half nine. He met them face-to-face at Cobham. Um, I'm told, actually, he took it quite well. There was no there was no sort of blow-up. There was no big argument. I think the famous one when there was a big argument was Andre Villas-Boas started chucking chairs around and furniture around. He went crazy when he was sacked. That's a famous one within Chelsea of, you know, we don't want another Villas-Boas moment. And... They were probably a little bit scared that they might get a Villas-Boas moment because it came as a complete shock to Tuchel. And I think they knew it was going to come as a complete shock to Tuchel. Um, But they didn't get that. Everybody was very respectful. I'm told he took it well, as well as can be expected anyway. Um, And yeah, I think his his thought after that was shock. And then, of course, that the players who hadn't got back until three would, would have this lie in too. So they would have woken up in a similar way to what you were describing, to be honest, Dan, in that, uh, you know, that they, they would get a flurry of messages come through, uh, definitely one from the club, but, you know, people will have seen on social media, people have been watching Sky Sports News. Some of them will have been awake for that, but some of them definitely won't have been, and they've just woken up to this flurry. Um, they were all during the training at 2 p.m. Uh, they obviously got there a little bit early, most of them, to congregate and chat about it. Um, Bowley and Egbali hung around and I believe addressed most of them, if not all of them, um, gave their reasoning, invited questions, told them what would happen in terms of the training while, while an appointment is made. Anthony Barry led that training session. He stayed on, obviously, um, Tuchel sort of coaches as they were, they, they left with him. And yeah, and they get on from there. Um, and the show goes on, but it would have been a very, very, odd day for those players particularly as you say as, as we say given they got back so late um but there's never a good time there's literally never a good time you could you could pencil a date in the calendar if you thought it was going to be a good day to try and do this kind of thing and there'd always be something that come up there's never going to be a good time matt just to follow on that you mentioned that thomas wasn't necessarily expecting this but we've seen over 100 days that to you know that the New owners have been doing their due diligence. They've been trying to build relationships across the club with the men's team, the women's team, and the academy. And I guess from my perspective, is that maybe a lack of awareness that things weren't going well on Tuchel's part? Was it 100% just a complete shock to him that he thought he was going to have more time? Or is it a little mix of both of those? I think there's probably a difference of opinion between Tuchel and the owners over what constituted not going well. I think Tuchel... Tuchel, from what I'm told, recognises that there was tension and there were sort of problems, but he saw it as a process and a debate and uh, a way of working. I think Bowley and Egbali and and the the other owners, uh, Feliciano and and the other people involved, saw it as being much more, well, clearly saw it as being much more serious. Um, When they came in, it is absolutely definite. It, It was not 
bullshit by them. It was absolutely definite that they wanted to invest in Thomas. They, when they first came in from the outside and after having met him very early on, they felt that Chelsea's best asset was Thomas and they wanted to invest in him and let him lead the way on building what they wanted to be a new culture at Chelsea, a different way of doing things. From the summer onwards, from that pre-season tour onwards, doubts just began to grow and grow and grow and get bigger and bigger over the suitability of, of Thomas doing that and also whether he would really proactively involve himself in that. And it has to be said that everything he said pointed towards the fact he didn't. He didn't want to be involved in the appointment of a sporting director. He didn't enjoy a new, more communicative role around the transfers. I mean, he was given a much bigger role and responsibility in transfers. But let's remember, he wasn't having to actually go out and deliver these. No one was saying, right, coach the team in the morning and this afternoon, go off and meet a chief executive to try and sign a player. He was really only having to offer his more of an opinion than he had before and be involved in a more collaborative uh, collaborative way of doing things, i.e. being part of sort of larger WhatsApp groups where things are discussed, more communication with more people rather than just a couple of people being able to send the odd message. And it, he didn't like working like that. And I think the feeling became, as things wore on, that this was a man who was clearly a brilliant tactician, clearly a brilliant head coach, he was far more suited to working in the regime that had gone and far more suited to working within the culture that Bowley and Igbali, rightly or wrongly, and time will tell whether it's rightly or wrongly, that they want to leave behind. They want, I hate this word, but it's the only word to describe it, a bit like Man City always preach. They want a far more holistic culture at the club where everybody talks to everybody and everybody's open to to debate and questioning from everybody. And unfortunately, Tuchel just gave no sign that he was up for that. Do you think he's a little bit of a victim of the circumstance then, since he really didn't sign up for it originally? He was very comfortable with the Marina, Petr Cech structure. Um, you know, and, and we saw, you know, or we read in the piece about the WhatsApp and how he was just kind of like, you know, he, I can imagine he's just sitting there thumbs upping or thumbs downing like names and things, not really, you know, clarifying Look, things. If you're someone who's who's been used to only having to really talk to two people on on transfers and i think probably not a lot of talk either i think probably just very simple talk and the other people go up and deliver if there's whatsapps flying about between six or seven eight people who haven't been involved let's face it haven't been involved in football before it's probably going to annoy him it's probably going to frustrate him but if he wanted to be a long-term part of a new era and a new culture it's his job to learn how to work with that. And something that has been said to me today is that there were doubts over just his emotional intelligence to cope with the change in culture because he just showed no ability to do that whatsoever. And that sounds like a really harsh criticism of it, but it's just people's working techniques. And he used to say so often that he loved the structure with Marina and Petacek. He loved that structure and how simple it was and how much it left him alone to pretty much work on his own. So many Chelsea managers and coaches down the years have hated being left alone. It's driven them crazy. They, they've wanted more, more communication. And yet Thomas Tuchel absolutely reveled in it. He loved it. And now everything's changed. And he, he is, you're right, he is a victim of circumstance. But also the new owners are a victim of circumstance because they've inherited a brilliant head coach who's absolutely 
not prepared to work in the way they want to work, it would seem. So both parties, you could actually argue, are victim of circumstance in that respect. Matt, when you get into the fact that I think culture can be a very broad word and the definition for what that means is different from organization to organization, but Todd and team clearly want to instill their own culture. It has had them dealing with multiple things on the pitch, off the pitch, the inquest into the non-footballing staff and their treatment with the marketing department this summer, a big part of that as well, kind of the, the overall culture. But I guess where where did you observe that the biggest disconnect is in between what, I guess, how do we define the Todd Bowley and company vision for what culture means? Because we've seen Emma Hayes and Neil Bath get backed, seemingly come on board very quickly and get that level of investment that they, it seems like the, they wanted to offer Tuchel, but there was just not that same meeting of the minds there and what that, what that definition of culture was. Yeah, I mean, look, I will find it hard on here to, to sort of um, vocalise what the culture is. And, and I'll be honest, I, I haven't actually had it spelled out to me, but the parts of the culture that I know they're very keen on to foster and that they believed were missing when they came into to Chelsea was collaborative work. They felt that was completely missing at Chelsea. Um, there was a very, very small sort of hierarchy who didn't really communicate outside themselves and didn't work collaboratively around the club. Um, there's not a lot of middle management. There wasn't a lot of middle management at Chelsea, let's face it. And you can see some of the hires that are coming in already on the commercial side and, and things like that, that there's going to be more middle management put in. And that, that again, is aimed at, at people sharing responsibility more. Responsibility will be, will be shared out and people will be expected to communicate beyond their departments and work collaboratively which is something that really didn't happen to be quite honest with you before that obviously some people work together but it, it wasn't sort of a thing a culture within the club to do that and people have got to now be open to being questioned people have now got to be open to being asked to explain things even if they don't think those things don't shouldn't need to be explained or shouldn't need to be questioned or if they think it might be a bit of a a waste of time. They've got to be open to that. They've got to be open to requests and and yeah, and questions and explanation. And that 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 honestly, that that wasn't there before. It's a different culture. And it's like I say, it's going to end up you're gonna I think you're gonna hear the word holistic a lot, which is a horrible word and a horrible word to try and explain, but it is it's gonna become a lot more of that now. Um but to nail down at this stage what the exact culture is very difficult because I think I think, again, part of the reason that, that, that Tuchel is now not at the club is because they're actually building that culture now and they're trying to figure out exactly what that culture is. But they just, they want, they know that in a football club, that culture has got to centre so much around the head coach um, that they just don't feel that they can do it with a guy there who's, who's not showing any sign of embracing that. Another rift uh, between ownership and manager, it sounds like, uh, was in the transfer market and targets who they wanted or there's a lot of chopping and changing want this player this week want a different player next week um, it's very easy to use Ronaldo as the lightning rod but he's the one that's constantly getting used as the example that Bully wanted him Tuchel said no and then they couldn't agree on it I don't know how big of a deal that was or if it's just a great name to use in the pieces but um continuing in on just like it, it seemed like they really just didn't see 
eye to eye potentially on some things or bully found it hard to track what it is Tuchel really wanted. I think, I think the problem around the Ronaldo one was because of it being Ronaldo, as soon as it became public, it was a huge thing. Anything around Ronaldo is a huge thing. So when the story broke that, that Bowley had spoken to Jorge Mendes about Ronaldo and had him offered to him and, and clearly hadn't dismissed the opportunity at that stage, it was immediately a huge thing. So everybody latched onto it, which if you're talking about Messi or Ronaldo or people like that, it's always going to be the case. And I think what the difficulty was on Ronaldo was that not only did Tuchel say no to Ronaldo, he ended up saying no sort of five or six times. You know, the initial no wasn't necessarily accepted. And this is where we come into the difference in culture. No wasn't enough to start with for Todd Bowley and, and Behad Agbali. They wanted to know why. They wanted, they wanted it broken down for them. They didn't want to just be told, no, I don't want it. They wanted an explanation as to why. They wanted to break it down. They wanted to probably look at some data and figures with Thomas and, and have it talked through to them and, and have it explained that way. And they wanted to be able to give their opinion rather than it just being no. Um, and the other thing I think that the problem was around Ronaldo is if you remember when the Ronaldo link came up, uh, Chelsea hadn't signed a single defender at that point. And I know for sure that there was a feeling on the Tuchel side that time was being wasted on Ronaldo, on going back and forth on Ronaldo and on Bowley holding meetings over Ronaldo when he felt that once the Sterling deal was done, which is one he desperately wanted and one he was delighted with, we, shouldn't, we should remember that, that all the energy should have been put straight into defenders at that point. And there was a big frustration around that time around the defenders because he felt time was being wasted on defenders. And at uh, that time, they were missing defenders. He, he definitely wanted De Ligt. He badly wanted De Ligt. Um, and so there was a lot of frustration around at that point. And I think Ronaldo and his name was a bit of a lightning rod around that, to be honest with you, even though everything around Ronaldo will always get built up probably to slightly bigger than it, than it actually was. Um, and then same thing with Kunde. He was just upset at the speed. I, I guess who's taking the blame on that one? I, cause I've, I feel like I've read that, um, Tuchel wanted him, but felt like Bully wasn't pushing enough. Bully felt like at the end, Tuchel didn't want him enough and it, they just kind of like abandoned it, 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 it to that point. Just, it seemed quite messy on like, yeah, the Kunde one was very messy and it got very confusing, to be honest with you. I mean, you'll have all seen the stories when, I can't remember where we were. We were in Orlando, I think, when, you know, uh, it, it, it looked done to Chelsea, quite frankly. We were told there was a an agreement in place. The sources from Spain were telling us that the Barcelona had given up. Um, I think it was on a Thursday or a Friday. Um, and it looked done. And then everything reversed over the weekend and, there was a shift in thinking and it's now very confusing to get to the bottom of that because I think if you spoke to Tuchel and his people, uh, they would probably point the finger towards the owners. And I think obviously the owners would probably point the finger towards Tuchel and it's in, in the fullness of time. It's now impossible to work out quite where, where that fell down. I mean, the, the damning thing about that Kunde one is it seemed that they had it all agreed, stepped back from it for whatever reason, and then actually went back to try and do it 
and found that they had actually then been sort of gazumped again by Barcelona. That that the the Kounde one for me was the messiest one of the summer, and and there was clearly disagreement on Kounde. It's just impossible now to know the truth of, of where that disagreement quite lies. Matt, as we kind of maybe shift from the ways that the owner or new owners rather and Tuchel did or didn't get along on various things, another part of that seems to be just there's often talk of Chelsea player power. We've seen also though a massive squad overturn this summer in terms of incomings and outgoings. And so where did that play into this maybe for the decision making process you know we've seen some performances that haven't been so great but that can be come down to the player individually can come down to the system and come down to the manager you know a whole host of things where where was their kind of voice in this decision making process for for todd and team yeah it's look the seemed to get himself in a mess with the squad quite frankly i mean um Formation, team selection, right from sort of the last six months, not just this season, just became so muddled. And what I thought Tuchel was brilliant at when he first took over at Chelsea was his squad management. I thought his squad management was incredible. He kept everyone happy. He brought people in from the cold. He he kept people ticking over. That just seemed to evaporate. And the squad management became, I felt, really quite poor and led to a lot of problems. Um, I mean, they went into this summer with sort of five of their seven attacking players wanting to leave, which just isn't a sustainable position. Um, And sort of difficulties just arose from that. And it's just been clear that so many players haven't been happy and some have gone and some have stayed. and, And that's just manifested itself more and more and more and more. And probably the worst example of it was in Zagreb on, on Tuesday night with Hakem Ziyech's uh, 45 minutes, second half 45 minutes, because that that looked like a player who wasn't trying to do his head coach any favours whatsoever. Um, I don't want to be too strong with accusations because I, I can't speak for him. But it, it was, it's been very clear for some time that a lot of players who are frustrated and unhappy at the roles they've been playing and the positions they've been asked to play. And that comes down to a lot of squad management, which is weird because, as I say, when when Todd, uh, Todd, when Tuchel first came in, I thought he was brilliant at squad management, the way he handled Kepa's situation, the way he brought in, obviously, Riddiger from the cold, but also the way he would just give players minutes here and there off the bench. He would keep everyone involved, everyone happy. That that just seemed to disappear. And then again, if we go back to the tour, you know, you know, we had players who, after one game, were getting sent home or sent to the under-23s, Billy Gilmore... Brozier went back with an injury in fairness, but you know, it was just chaotic. The squad management, like what, what, I, I, this huge squad went over to the States and then loads of them get sent back. And then players who are never really going to play for the club again are starting all the games like Batshuayi. It was, it was baffling at the time. When you look back now in the fullness of knowing what, what's actually happened, it, it, it just seems even more confusing. Sorry, I don't know if that actually answered your question, Dan, to be quite honest with you. Well, I think it also leads a little bit of a breadcrumb to why we saw several players who maybe Chelsea would have, in a normal season, looked to move on a permanent transfer, maybe had a loan deal with the option to come back because maybe there was some forethought in the 
dying weeks of the window that this might not be long term. And so instead of potentially giving away an asset that a future manager might want to take advantage of, that you have the flexibility to recall them, make them a part of the squad in January next season with the way that Todd and team approach those deals. I think it also probably shows that a few players saw the writing was on the wall. Um, Callum Hudson-Odoi, look, he, he he could have pushed for a permanent transfer and he actually pushed for a loan. Now, Callum Hudson-Odoi is a good example, I think, because here's a player who I don't think has performed well enough, so it's on him. But um, he will argue that Tuchel kept playing him out of position, which I'm now told quite a lot of the players are frustrated about, that they felt they kept getting played out of their favoured positions. And in fairness to Hudson-Odoi, he's probably one of the greatest examples of this in that he was playing wing-back a lot. Um, and because of playing wing-back, he wanted to leave. But he didn't want to leave on a permanent deal. He wanted to leave on loan and go and play somewhere in what he felt it was his proper position, which he's now doing it by Leverkusen. I believe he started in the Champions League um, tonight. So he's a great example because I think, and this is my opinion, I don't know this, I haven't spoken to him, I haven't spoken to his people about this, I would think that he probably saw the writing on the wall and looked at it and thought, I will go and have a loan because by the time I come back, I don't think this guy's going to be here. And if I perform well in my favourite position in my loan, that gives me another chance at Chelsea. It might also explain why the owners loaned him out rather than looking to sell him when I think Tuchel would have been quite, been quite happy to sell him. But again, they're thinking, well, we haven't really seen this guy play play where where he thinks is his best position. Um so maybe maybe we need to wait and, and see him there. As you say, Levi Colwell, what, why he ended up going on loan and, and there was no option in that for them to make it permanent, again, speaks to the fact that, that maybe there are a few people who thought, well, that's fine while this manager is here, but there, there might be a difference of opinion when there's another manager here. All of that can play into it. I wonder how Romelu Lukaku, what Romelu Lukaku is thinking Inter Milan now. I mean, look, I, I don't see him coming back from Inter Milan. He's made it clear he wants to be at Inter Milan. But apart from the fact he wanted to go into, back to Inter Milan, it's clear his big problem was with Thomas Tuchel. We'll address that crazy timeline uh, come this summer, but there's a lot that we're going to have to do to get the, through before that. So we're going to take a quick ad break. Thank you to the sponsors financially supporting the show. When we're back. We're going to talk about what's next for Chelsea. Here we go. If you're bored of the U.S. Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the U.K.? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you. With over 5,000 plus server options, no show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue, you can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan plus one free month. We all love to binge, but look, privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk when you use our 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue you a refund. You can pretend the entire situation never happened. Check out my link again. That's nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue to get your subscription started today. All right. 
so Matt, just as quickly as Tuchel's dismissed, Chelsea look ready to appoint their new manager, Graham Potter of Brighton Hove Albion. It feels like the dismissal and the appointment were conducted with the knowledge that they could get their man, particularly as the club need to quickly turn around performances with only 16 matches between now and the World Cup. And it kind of seems obvious because Brighton were very quick to say, yes, you may speak to our manager. How surprised we are to hear from you, Todd. Yeah, look, I, in fairness, I, I've, I've been told that that is how actually Brighton operate, that they've never seen the point if um, if a player or a manager wants to speak to a club of actually standing in the way. And we see that with their players. They, they sell their players, don't they? They don't actually tie their players to lampposts or handcuff them and things and, and try and keep them against their will. They've got this policy that if if people do want to go or do want to go and speak to people, they let them. Um, it's a very mature policy, to be fair. Um, and maturity is not always a big thing in football, as we all know. So I, I would like to applaud that. Um, but yeah, look, the, the, they will go through a process. It'll be a very quick process. And we may already be getting towards the end of that very quick process. But due diligence will be done in that... Um, I believe that Pochettino will also be spoken to, but I only see that becoming a thing if something has gone wrong with Potter. The Potter thing has moved extremely quickly, which would suggest very much um, the fact that this he's the guy they want, he's the guy they've already pinpointed. To get permission through that quick and then get him into London on the same day for talks. You know, they, they the players were in a training at two and uh, Bowley and Egbali were having talks starting with Potter, you know, a few hours late after that in, in central London somewhere, a location I don't know where. Um, and they got their ducks in line very, very, very quickly. And it would seem that it's his job to lose and that that's what I'm told, it's his job to lose. Something would have had to have gone wrong in those talks or he would have to have a change of heart and decide it's not for him. I think for them to double back and, and look elsewhere. But like I say, they're trying to do their due diligence in that, that it's only right that they should talk to someone like Pochettino who's out of work and certainly interested in the job. Um, but yeah, all, all everything points to Potter and everything points to Potter being done quickly. And I think they hope to probably have him in place for Fulham, take the team Fulham on Saturday. So we're speaking Wednesday night in the UK. I wouldn't be hugely be surprised if we we hear whether it's unofficial or official, of, of some sort of confirmation of Potter agreeing a contract on Thursday, if not Friday. So, Matt, as you understand it, how did Potter pop up as the primary candidate? And maybe with Todd and company still being new to football, but not being new to sports management in terms of large organizations, who do you understand is maybe helping guide or influence or offer input from like a footballing perspective, you know, is, is someone like, you know, Neil Bath or Emma Hayes who have been around the English game might be able to offer some additional insight or are there other people that you understand who are helping out? Yeah, I, I, they'll be taking advice. I've got to be quite honest. I, I, I couldn't tell you names. Um, I don't, I don't actually know names, but they, I know they're taking advice. They will be taking advice. What, what they'll have, what they've done a bit like, They've worked in a very interesting way this summer because they they came in and they they looked at all the agents they wanted to meet very quickly, the big agents. They pinpointed some like Mendes and Zahavi to, to get into very early doors and then some other agents after that. Um, and they pinpointed agents. They pinpointed certain 
of their own players they wanted to talk to. You know, they took Aspilicueta out for a meal and, and, and picked his brain on stuff. They've, they've pinpointed various areas. They've pinpointed chief executives and owners. You know, he went, Bowley went for that, that dinner with Laporta. Bowley invited all the Premier League guys for dinner. Also, what we've done within, not even necessarily at the start of, of having a thought of, of replacing Tuchel to start with, although that's obviously grown, is they've pinpointed who are the coaches we should be looking out for. And they've been asking people that, you know, if it ever comes to the day, who should we be looking at? Who are the people out there who are the hot new coaches? Who are the hot new things? Who should we be collecting data on? Who should we be forming relationships around? And I get a sense of that Graham Potter is a name that kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back early doors. You know, if you're looking at the hot new thing, you need to be watching this guy, Graham Potter. And this will have been before the season started, before they've the, the Brighton's amazing start to the season. So they'll have been having people in their ears, and I know this for sure, I just don't know who the people are, telling them, if you ever make a change or if you're doing your due diligence and you ever want to compile a list, you need to go and look at Graham Potter. You need to look at his work. Now, they've got date, even though they don't have a football structure as such at the moment at Chelsea in terms of recruitment and data, they have their own data people. They have their own sports and Dodgers data people who have been helping them on football. I would imagine that they will have then been tasked with, and it won't have just been Potter, it's probably Pochettino as well, and probably some others they've, they've done this on. Uh, who may already still be in jobs, but they'll have been told go away, go away and do some data on these guys. We want to see, we 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 can see we we know what we're being told. We're going to watch them with our own eyes when the season starts. But we also want some data feedback on this. And their Dodgers guys and their sports data people, I'm sure, will have done that for them. And again, I can only guess that that Potter scores very highly on the data in terms of. Uh, results against what their expected results should be and the recruitment and all kind and his improvement of players and all kinds of things like that. He'll have, and they've, they've obviously taken a big interest in Brighton because they've signed Mark Cucurella and that will have fed into it. So let's say that that's the starting point. Then the season starts and Brighton just start incredibly. So obviously the interest picks up, the interest picks up and they will talk to more people you know, what do you know about Potter? What do you know about Potter? Blah, 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 blah. And it will have just formed organically like that. I'm pretty sure that that's how it will have come about. But I honestly think that when they first came into football this summer, they very much decided to pinpoint trying to speak to sort of the market leaders of every different position, whether it be agents, chief executives, other owners, players, and also forming this database for themselves on, on coaches. And Potter's obviously just kept coming back and back and back to them. Well, it's not just Potter. As you mentioned, Tuchel left with his deputies, his uh, you know trusted assistants. It sounds like Graham Potter would be bringing the same. Uh, Scott McLaughlin has also left. It sounds like there's a recruiting person in that kind of posse. Ooh, any idea what we would expect to see? Wasn't Antonio Conte that had like six deep in his posse and they were like trying to find room for everybody? Look, that them... I mean, Antonio Conte almost didn't join to start with because of the amount of people he wanted to bring over. He wanted to bring about nine people over and they argued it down to six. And then after he won the title, he managed to get one more on the six. You know, he always he always wants more. Um, I, look, it might end up more than this in the fullness of time, but there's, there's three there's three people 
that uh, that Potter would would certainly come in with. And one of them is this recruitment. At, at Brighton, he's a recruitment analyst. At Swansea, he was head of recruitment. A guy called Kyle McCauley, who has worked very, very closely with Potter, he worked with him at Ostersons. In fact, all of Potter's staff um, have worked very closely with him since Ostersons. But I think Kyle McCauley is, is a very interesting name among them, just because obviously there's, there's a... There's, there's a gap in, in Chelsea's recruitment structure. There's a massive gap. There's no sporting director. And Scott McLaughlin left last week, who was the head of international scouting and, and pretty much worked as a chief scout. Um, so I think Carl McCauley coming is, or, or potentially coming with him, as Potter, I think, will demand, is, is very, very interesting and, and, and very, very key. Um, Brighton's recruitment has been incredible. Now, I don't think we can credit McCauley all of Brighton's recruitment because they do have a director of football. Potter takes a very active role in it himself, but McCauley clearly is part of that. And I think that that is very, very key for them. Along, uh, along with McCauley, there's, there's probably space for two coaches because two coaches have sort of gone with Tuchel. Uh, Billy Reid is, is Potter's long-term sort of number two assistant. He's a, a sort of older Scottish coach. He was at Hamilton Academical, where he actually won Scottish Coach of the Year back in the day, 2008 or something. But he's been he's been Potter's sort of go-to assistant again since Dostersons, and he seems to be the very experienced voice in the group. Um, and then there's a guy who I really don't know an awful lot about called Bjorn Hamburg, who seems to be a bit of a sort of analyst stroke coach who has got a very interesting background. He set up his own team when he was was only 20 and was player coach of this team while also being the manager of a supermarket. And then Potter plucked him from obscurity when Potter himself was in obscurity at Ostersons and they've worked together ever since. Now, these three guys are Potter's key guys. He's travelled around all around with them. There might be another coach here and there who who was coming with him from different places, and you never know in time there might be another one who comes to Chelsea. But these are his guys, and these are his guys who, if he takes the Chelsea job, as we expect, will come in with him at Chelsea. And handily for Chelsea, the vacancies are there because two coaches have gone with Tuchel and Scott McLaughlin left last week. So it it all seems pretty handily set up for them, quite frankly. The question mark is over Anthony Barry. He is certainly staying for the short term. He took training today. Should Potter not be in place for Saturday's game, Anthony Barry, I, I would expect to take the team, albeit ably assisted by some other coaches. Um, but his long-term future, won't, we won't be quite so sure about because there's been teams trying to take Anthony Barry from Chelsea for years now. And he's now gone through a couple of changes and it might be a time for him to consider, but I'm just speculating there. All right, Dan, I say last question. Where do you want to take it? Do you want to talk about Pochettino or director of football? Choose your own adventure. The, the fans will be <laughs> mad if you choose wrong. No, the, the, I'm, I'm choosing correctly because I know the fans. And I think the question then would be, Matt, as the kind of follow-on. So Potter comes in, his identity, his thought of football – there's obviously been a push now because Todd Bowley, while he pro- he has enjoyed at least some of the uh, the elements of being a director of football or a sporting director for Chelsea, probably doesn't want to do that full time. 
I guess, what would that mean for the type of candidate you would then expect them to go after? And maybe from a timing perspective, how how much quicker they'll move now that they know who maybe their their long term future coach is? Yeah, I think it should help it. It should help it because they can now um, make their decision knowing that they've got their long term manager. Don't get me wrong; everyone will think that it's terrible short termism from these owners to sack Tuchel so early, and I totally understand that argument. Um, but actually, there's a long-term plan here. And the long-term plan is to appoint someone that they feel they won't have to change for a very long time. I mean, if you look at the Dodgers, their their coach has been in for seven years and signed a new three-year contract to take him up to 10 years. Different sport, different pressures. I get that. But they have a philosophy that their next appointment that will be for the long-term. And therefore, who they want to come in as sporting director, they all want to work with them for that amount of time. And now... One sporting director might have worked with with Thomas Tuchel, but it's probably not the type of sporting director that they really wanted to appoint. And a different, more holistic sporting director will probably work with someone like Graham Potter. So I would expect it to help that process. I would expect it to speed up that process. I would expect it to be a guy they feel who can sort of benefit Potter the best and that Potter can benefit him the best. So I would suspect it would be quite a data-driven guy not necessarily a big name you know you know let, let's face it i know potter's hot at the moment but he's not a big name so maybe we have to look for a graham potter style sporting director appointment too i, I wouldn't know where to start with that quite frankly i don't have a name for you but maybe that's going to become a clearer thing that it, it's not going to be one of the big sporting director names potentially potentially it's more someone under the radar but who they feel uh, can bring out the best in Graham and Graham can bring out the best in them. I, I do think it will help it. And I do think if it is Graham Potter or whoever takes over, we'll probably also have a slight input on that. I don't think it was that wise of Thomas to, to say that he didn't want it or wasn't going to have any input on that because it's just not how these guys work. I had to squeeze it in. Neil Bath, it sounds like, has been gone. He's been on transfer talks. He's been on visits. Todd seems to like him, empowered the shit out of him for the, the academy, Neil Bath. Dark Horse director of football? No, I wouldn't have thought so. And I hope this doesn't bite me, come back to bite me, and then all of a sudden he is because I look look very stupid. But I've looked stupid before, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put my balls on the line with this. No, just because Neil Bath is the best at what he does possibly in the world. Why on earth would you change that? Like, why on earth would you change that? I just if you've got someone who's the best, who's the leader in class in the world at what they do. Don't change it. Just empower him more and more in the role he's in. He, but what I would say, and what I think you make an interesting point, and what come, brings us back to why this has all happened today, is that Neil Bath could have a say on things that he didn't used to have a say on before within his own role, because everyone's going to be encouraged to do that now. Everyone's going to be encouraged to share best practice. Opinions are going to be taken from different places within the organisation. That may lead to Neil Bath having a bigger voice and a bigger role, but I would be very surprised if his job changed as such because he's the best at his job in the business. All right. Well, we're going to wrap there, Matt. I know you got other deadlines and things to take care of. We appreciate you sneaking this in on such a crazy day. Again, follow uh, Matt on socials. Um, go get the Telegraph subscription so you can read all the articles. That's where all the good stuff is. But thank you so much, Matt. Uh, at another sacking notch on the belt. <laughs> Well, I look forward to now the one when this appointment happens. We'll be back soon, I'm sure. 
Absolutely. All right. More content for the rest of us throughout the week. I don't even know what's coming. Tomorrow's going to be a crazy day. Until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.